Welcome to another episode of the K-Cut. Uh, this is uh, a B-roll episode. Uh, the K-Cut, in case you're a first-time listener, is a movie podcast by movie fans for movie fans. Um, and uh, today we're going to be touching upon a very uh, prickly subject, which I think, uh, you know, speaking about movie fans, uh, all cinephiles should really pay attention to if they haven't already. And that is uh, the once... Uh, Writers Guild of America strike, uh, which has now progressed into a full on, uh, a full on strike, which has included, uh, in, in, which has included the members of SAG-AFTRA as well. So we're going to be uh, having a roundtable. Dis- exactly, we're going to have a discussion as to what this is, why it's happening, maybe some history behind it, our stance. Uh, basically, our stance is we're we're for the strike, we're for the union members. So let's just get that right off the bat. Uh, otherwise, I am joined by fellow cinephiles uh, Rachel and James, and let's get into the particulars of this um, unfortunate yet very necessary uh, turn of events. Right. So, the uh, many of us will remember the most uh, recent writer strike, which was about two thousand and eight, and I was very into television at the time, so I remember many of my favorite shows were truncated at the time. Um, and that went on for several months, so this one could go on for quite a while. Um, the last actor strike was about 1980, so it was in none of our lifetimes. And the last time actors and writers were striking together was in about 1960. And um, some guy named Ronald Reagan was the president of the Screen Actors Guild at the time. So that's a fun factoid. Yeah, and another factoid regarding 1960, like that, um, the last time that both unions uh, banded together in solidarity and had a strike like this was because at the time television was on the rise and uh, film actors and uh, personnel were very concerned about how residuals would work when it came to uh, films being shown again on television. So I feel like with today's circumstances and, you know, how the uh, the rise of streaming giants being one of the reasons why everybody's going on strike. I think it's very important to note that uh, basically history is repeating itself. And additionally, it looks like in general, without getting too political, but I mean, with such an episode, you can't help but feel that it's going to happen, uh, that studios and producers kind of like testing the waters and trying to, you know, fulfill the same sorts of greed um, time and time again. So it was only a matter of time that, you know, in a cyclical nature, we are back at square one where people are trying to fight for, you know, their their proper payment, the residuals. But what 1960 didn't have is the, uh, I, I mean, at the time, the computer was on the rise. So I guess there's that. But uh, now we have uh, artificial intelligence where not just writers are scared, for their uh, job security, but now actors as well being scared of their digital likenesses, uh, whether they pass away or they're unavailable. Uh, studios basically using their sound and vision through AI to cast them in stuff that they didn't actually sign up for. Well, we've seen this done before too. Like Laurence Olivier played the villain in a 2004 film, Sky Captain, The World of Tomorrow. Um, but with AI, it just makes it that more, much more relevant. And I really think that in this, the AI question is a lot bigger than anything. Oh, yeah. Like, I feel like streaming is the more urgent problem because, you know, when you have somebody who like wrote for 
Emmy nominated slash winning, I believe, uh, to television series Jane the Virgin, uh, receiving thirty cents a month out of you know as residuals. I think that's a big problem. But AI is, I feel like, uh, to your point, Rachel, the the bigger danger, absolutely, because like uh, what um, some uh, union members have brought up is that how studios, without actually explicitly saying this, are fascinated with the idea of, say, Rachel. Wouldn't you like to see a film where Catherine Hepburn is in a steampunk genre film starring with what's another person that you love? Uh, Emma Stone, let's say. Yeah. Oh, Humphrey Bogart. There you go. So uh, all three of them together in a steampunk universe full of puppies raining from the skies, unhurt. They're happy as soon as they land. You can make it happen. With AI, your film will be completed in a day. And that's basically what they want to do is they want to cater to the to the you know, to the viewer all of your ideas and all your fantasies. And it's actually frightening if you think about it. It's gonna put everybody out of work. Well, this past Academy Awards season, I did a little experiment and I plugged in the premises for all ten screenplay nominees, and I asked ChatGBT to write the screenplay for them. And they're very funny because they're not quite right in the way that AI still is right now. But in a few years, it's going to be quite different, I think, especially as more and more information gets picked up. But it was quite a fun thing to do. Um, and it really did show me how writing can be automated now in a frightening way. Well, that actually, um, it's interesting you say that because did you to hear about the lawsuit that Sarah Silverman's trying to bring no. in regards to AI? I noticed that she stopped. She put her podcast on hiatus, and I wasn't sure why. I didn't know that this was the reason. What is the lawsuit? So it's about how the lawsuit is against, I don't know if it's chat GPT specifically, but the problem with AI is it sources already existing works. So the fact that anything it grabs is something that's already there's already rights holders to that's the big thing with AI and why I don't think AI can really move forward because of these complicated laws of resolving rights, because it's like, Oh, well, you're just pulling from everything that already exists. That's the thing with like AI art. That's they say where there's a lot of issues there because it's grabbing from things that already exist and it's constantly being fed information. Like my big thing is why can't we automate the CEOs? But with automating CEOs comes automating everyone else, too. CEOs wouldn't allow that, to Rachel's point. They would basically say, hey, listen, if I'm going down, all you mother effers are coming down with me. Like, to Rachel's point, that's exactly what would happen. When was the last time you went to a grocery store and talked to someone in person? Oh, don't get me started. Like, especially nowadays when you're, like, trying to find something, you just can't find anyone. I mean, it's already starting in so many different industries. We're entering a brave new world for employment, for, as James alluded to, copyright law, for so many things. I saw a post from a writer online who said, oh yeah, I want to use ChatGPT to check my novel that I'm writing. And someone said, you'll immediately invalidate your contract with your publisher if you do that. Uh, I mean, it's getting really prickly. I actually, um, I've brought this up on Films Fatale before on the subject matter. Rachel, uh, please chime in if you learn learned about this as well this is actually something that i heard about while studying at toronto metropolitan um in, in our program that we share for listeners at home we uh, rachel and i both studied um phone preservation and collections management at the same university so um the idea is that there's this utopia where everything is run by computers ai robots so humans don't have to work 
humans don't have this need for money anymore. But having said that, to get to this utopia, basically everybody's going to have to go through hell. So what it sounds like is if we are going to that end game, we're not going to see that utopia in our lifetime. We're just going to see pure misery. And what's the point of doing that if we're not prepared to do that? And we would be sending everybody to like, you know, a state of joblessness. I just can't foresee it happening, but it's this idea that obviously uh, producers and businesses are gunning towards this idea of making money without spending money or, you know, ultimately we money's not essential anymore. But how can that be when you have people like Elon Musk and so many other greedy people in the world that don't necessarily want that utopia? So you have these clashing ideas, you know, which at the expense of everybody else's livelihoods. You think it would not be possible without UBI, essentially, unless you wanted a revolution on your hands. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, James, do you think we've got a revolution on our hands? (laughs) I mean, I can really only speak as an American because there's that question a lot. And we get it a lot of, like I see on social media, we get the question a lot coming from European countries like, oh, why don't you guys rise up? It's really kind of hard with when every police force is militarized and we have to deal with the military and just the powers that be. So it's like our hands kind of forced in that regard. But when you really think about it, well, the current job I have now, it made me realize there's only so many things that would actually be able to be automated from a practical standpoint. And automation in and of itself doesn't really make sense for the long haul as far as return on investment, because if everybody's out of a job, who's going to buy the products being made by the automation? I suspect that editors and checkers and people who have to fix things for AI will become a very big career in the next couple of decades. But also, how many job opportunities would that open? I feel like it would open a few, but companies don't need more than one person to do that. So it's still still very limiting. I don't know. It's I see the pros of AI, but at the same time, I see a lot of cons. A lot of cons. And yeah. they got to learn how to draw hands. Well, here's the thing, you know, because people say stuff like that, and it's true. They can't draw hands worth a damn that this is true. But I remember, because AI has been around for a little bit, like, you know, this current state of it. Um, I would say it was only like two years ago when they couldn't even make objects. But it was like a vague idea of what an object should look like. And now we're here. They're going to be making hands in at least like a year or two. Like it develops very quickly. So I wouldn't be surprised if they, well, let's be honest. Most people on earth can't draw hands. They're the hardest damn things to draw. So who knows? Um, We'll see. It's, it's frightening though. I don't want AI to leave the meme stage, to be honest. Just the funny things like, cause now they have like the, the text to video AI. Have you guys ever seen any of the videos people made? It's a Will Smith eating noodles. No. Yes. It's terrifying. Like the AI, when they make videos out of nothing, it's like, it's always so surreal and just disturbing to watch. It's like, it's something out of like a nightmare sometimes. Like there was this one AI thing. It was a, it was a pizza commercial and then it just escalated into this weird post-apocalyptic thing towards the end. And it was just like, what's going on here? But it also got me thinking, 
AI in regards to screenwriting is going to be silly because AI is never going to have a sense of taste and style in dialogue that a human is. Like you can't convince me it'll be able to just pick up on like the nuances of just like how the human brain works. But you also can't convince that to uh, the people who will be saving millions of dollars a year. It's not so much that people care it's that they don't. That's the problem. Um, you know, when you let, like we're cinephiles, let's bring things back to cinema a little bit. Um, we've certainly noticed that the industry is inundated with franchises, sequels, um, reboots. The cinemas are dying. Yeah, unimaginative ideas to begin with. And to your point, Rachel, cinemas are dying. Like, you know, the idea of the cinema that we once knew is dying, or at least it's on its way out unless we turn things around. So you're trying to convince people who already don't give a crap about like originality or freshness is that you know you're trying to tell them that ai is not going to bring anything fresh they 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 don't care if it saves them money and it brings in more money they never cared (laughs) unfortunately that's not going to be a good enough argument i'm afraid oh yeah and especially with the current box office like numbers that we've seen with even the bigger movies not making as much but i don't know i think barbenheimer is going to cause a shift Especially the part of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Have you seen like how many tickets the Barb part of it has sold already? I've already bought mine and a hot pink dress to go with it. Oh yeah, but yeah, bringing it back to Hollywood, we should also talk a bit about what con- what kind of impacts we're going to see with the strike because the last writer's strike dragged on for months, and it seems like this one is going to because I've read reports that they're essentially going to outlast everyone's financial resources and wait till people are desperate. But, um, yeah, that means it affects American productions, scripted ones, and it also affects things like promo. So I just read right before we got on that the Oppenheimer cast walked out of one of the premieres. Um, And um, theoretically, let's say if an actor from America wanted to go work in the UK, they could. But all American productions have shut down and unscripted stuff can still go ahead, is my understanding. Yeah. Additionally, and this is going to be painful for, um, I guess, us and similar cinephiles, this is going to majorly affect the uh, festival circuit season, which is coming up to like Tribeca, TIFF, New York, Venice. Um, yeah, that's all if the strike, summer. Exactly. If the strike still continues by then, that means no red carpets, no junkets, no press, no promotional stuff. And the other angle of it is these festivals, especially something like TIFF, which depends on the public, um, will suffer a lot because a lot of the attraction is the star power. Uh, discovering movies because of these junkets. Like not everybody's you or you know any, any of us three people who do our due diligence to discover what movies are out there. A lot of people rely on this form of marketing, not the algorithmic stuff, which forces you to partake in whatever the system wants you to to observe. It's this sort of marketing, and these festivals might take a major hit, which they've already had, given the pandemic and how inaccessible they were for a couple of years. Oh, it's already ruined conventions for the summer. Yep. You know, I, I do think it's interesting, though, because there's a lot of people talking about how the 0708 strike caused the rise of reality television. But then I got to thinking, 
that strike ha- strike happened literally the same year Netflix started streaming started the digital streaming service. And with the progression that social media has made, I don't really think there's going to be that much of a demand for reality television because we already have so many different streams of entertainment that are free. It's I, I think the studios are going to find out real quick that like their kind of tried and true ways aren't going to be as valid in this current era because everything's kind of obscured, especially with, you know, streaming. Like we haven't had a strike in the streaming area yet, really. So this is almost new territory for them. The other thing is reality TV was well established by the late 2000s when that strike happened. Oh, yeah. And not to, I hope I don't step on any toes here. I'm a bit of of an adversary when it comes to this sort of stuff, so I apologize. Um, What does reality TV also have that, you know, a lot of original programming doesn't? Um, Cheap production, you don't have to pay a lot, uh, it's effortless, you don't have to come up with many ideas, and I know they're scripted, but they're barely scripted, come on. Um, Yeah, they're cheap to make, and... uh, I, I don't know. We might see a similar rise in reality TV or something similar when it comes to content creation while studios continue to, and I quote, bleed out those who are striking. And that's the angle that they have. They don't care if they lose their houses. And that's the thing. With money so tight for everyone these days, it's going to be a rough go. It, it's just going to be, and it's heartbreaking. It's that's a good point to segue a little bit because we have to at least touch upon the opposition and there was like at least something that was worth considering. Not that other nonsense about, you know, waiting for them to lose all their money before we start negotiating. Something worth considering, at least a teensy bit, is what Disney CEO Bob Iger had to say about this, which was basically, listen, um, we understand unions bonding together in solidarity, but at the same time, this sort of thing will greatly affect already struggling industries. We don't think this is the best interest of all. Now, I don't necessarily agree with all of that, but at the same time, is the entertainment industry suffering economically, or at least have they taken a hit? Absolutely. Um, But with this hit that they're experiencing now, should they offer to pay more and change the residual structure? Would that be nearly as bad as what's coming to everybody if we go on strike and productions are put on a standstill? Um, marketing is at an all-time low because you're having to deal with the algorithm of online culture without actual press materials to work with or interviews to work with. There's th- th- What they have coming economically is devastation. It's pure devastation. So I don't know. Like I get where Bob Iger's coming from, but at the same time, do they want what's coming? Bob Iger also said that he doesn't think that their demands are realistic, even though he makes twenty five million annually. And apparently, he just extended his contract to twenty twenty six, and his annual bonus is going to be five times its previous size. So the vast majority of people in these unions are not wealthy. They're not stars. They're not well-known. They are working actors or writers who are uh, living off each project they do. So it is very consequential. 
Yeah, so it's not like, you know, you brought up the Oppenheimer um, red carpet. Uh, it's not like Killian Murphy and Florence Pugh or like Robert Downey Jr., who's like especially established. No, they're fighting for those who don't have a voice that can be heard. It's exactly more power to them. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people say that um, with this strike, it's the stakes are different because everybody's already broken struggling from the past few years, given the pandemic. So it's like, nobody has any money anyway. What do they have to really lose? Are they going to really take the jobs that aren't going to pay anyway? It's, it's not even worth it. And, you know, there's also a lot of warnings people are giving on social media. Cause it's like, I'm chronically online and spend way too much time on TikTok. And there's a lot of people saying to a lot of the creators and influencers who aren't in these unions, like they, they're saying, Hey, the studios are probably going to reach out to all of you to fill these roles don't do it because that'll definitely hurt your chances of ever joining the industry in any significant capacity in the in the future. Never, ever, ever cross the picket line, you guys. It is scummy behavior. Yeah. Furthermore, I think that um, this is a great opportunity for people to really look into the labor history of the U.S. because that's where it's happening. But since we're a Canadian podcast, I should add Canada's history is also uh, very layered when it comes to union and labor rights and all of that. Uh, my great-grandfather was a huge player in the Winnipeg general strike of 1919, which brought the prairies to a standstill. So um, you should definitely look into the history of unions and how they've been built up and how they've been brought down and all of these things. It, it's important to know, just as it's important to know other parts of history. And that's what a strike basically forces people to do. It's, you know, when your favorite programming on television or in theaters is being delayed or ultimately canceled, you're like, oh, what's the meaning of this? And then you start to do research and read into it. So, you know, it's bringing um, it's bringing a lot of awareness to why this is happening, because I feel like especially nowadays uh, with everything being so political, people are very jaded. People become very quick to be like. You don't need more money. You're already a multimillionaire for playing a part on television. Like, who cares? Like, that's not really what the full story is. And, you know, I'd like to think that something like this would kind of get people doing further deep dive research, which is, I I think, why we're doing an episode like this is to shed light on what really is, is going on as opposed to the rich wanting to keep being richer, unless you're looking at one side of the fence. You know, when it comes to the uh, the producers and studios, I can't really argue, you know, that that's not accurate. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that people use this opportunity to really look into, like, the, uh, the, the deeper historical context here. Because, again, it's cyclical. This isn't the first time that something like this has happened. Right. And it's also important to understand for everyone out there, too, you know, it's... People like to think it's just like these massively successful people. And it's like, no, there's millions of people who make barely anything. And that's the majority of the industry. It's like, it's not just the the leads. It's like the extras, the people who do commercials, the people who are extras on television. And, and it's also gig work. It's not nine to five. Additionally, it's not just the stars or the the people who are in front of the camera. Think about this. When you delay a production or your stars don't show up, you're affecting all the crew members. You're affecting 
all the people who work behind the scenes, the editing, the post-production. I mean, pre-production has already been affected because of the writer's strike. Um, so I know a lot of people who do acting who are going to be affected by this. But I know a lot of people who also do set design, costumes, makeup. They're going to be out of work too. And like even while this was just a rumor, you know, I've had friends of mine being like, I'm scared for the rest of the year because I don't know what my job security is going to look like. And, you know, it's not to say that this is at the fault of those who are striking. It's at the fault of the producers who don't really care about the impact that they're having because they're being stubborn and waiting for the the writers to go hungry. By waiting for the writers to go hungry, you're making everybody else in the industry except for your selfish selves hungry. I'll also add that the Directors Guild of America has recently agreed to a deal. I don't know enough about the deal to say whether or not that was a good decision, but they will not be joining in the strike in the near future. So that's just something to throw out there. Yeah, that's a good point because that hasn't been discussed enough uh, today. It was discussed during, you know, months, whatever, of the writer's strike. But um, how many directors are also producers? You know, it kind of makes you think. Mm-hmm. Or writers. <laughs> Oh, that's true. (laughs) So, uh, who knows? Yeah, I was so disappointed. But I'm not really surprised the directors did. I mean, directors can be some of the most, like, self-important, entitled people. And they were probably like, oh, this deal's good enough. Who cares about everybody else? It's hard to say for sure. Yeah, like I said, we don't know there. They could have had a great deal. Yeah, it's it's difficult. But, yeah. Yeah, it's... uh... An unfortunate set of circumstances, but unfortunately this is going to happen. And I think we're going to be seeing stuff like this a lot. Um, you know, whether it's like a political revolution or, you know, other industries going up in arms. But like, again, this sort of thing is cyclical. This isn't the first time that the entertainment industry has gone on strike or any industry has gone on strike. I mean, shoot, we live in Ontario. Uh, two of us do anyways. Um where your university goes on strike every four freaking years during my program. I want to strike twice. So like, um, or the teachers rather within the university, but like, listen, like, um, it goes to show that like, this isn't going to be the last time that we have such a strike like this within the entertainment industry. So maybe to shift a little bit of focus, there's obvious answers to this, but is there anything we're missing when I ask the question, what should we be doing from here on out? If we're producers and we're studios, what should we be doing to prevent this sort of backlash? Uh, there's obvious answers, but is there anything else that we're also missing? So obvious ones include pay better, you know, uh, be more considerate when it comes to earnings um, and get rid of AI as a as a compulsion when it comes to you know, the creative side of things, you know, unless you're helping those who are actually employed, AI should not be replacing jobs. I think that's a very good summary. And I think that uh, if there were protections along that line, it would be enough to end the strike. So what happened between, let's ignore the 2008 strike, go all the way back to like the 1960. What happened between then and now that brought us back like full circle? Like, is it just a producers and studios just never really cared or listened the entertainment industry got a lot more fragmented um the economic situation got a lot more brittle i think 
don't know. What do you look at the different decades? I remember who was it? I think I think it was Martin Scorsese. He said that there was a lot of headway made in the seventies from a business and a creative standpoint because there, despite there being conflict, he said there was productive conflict. I don't think we're seeing that now because it's like with with the constant growth of like the corporate machine, there's such a disconnect from the humanity of art. And I think that's the biggest problem because now they're just looking at it as like, oh, they just like they need to their quarterly profits need to exceed the last quarter and it's not sustainable. And they don't recognize that because it's like, okay, you're constantly cutting wages, you're trying to cut people out, but what's the end game here? It's it's not gonna be something that is that will flourish into something better. It's true. And we're seeing that across a lot of industries right now. So I think um, the economic structure of the capitalist world is going to see a lot of reckoning coming soon. And I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. I think things like strikes are healthy, essentially, for the growth of a society. And maybe it's high time that we had one. Yeah, well, we are definitely in the thick of... We're definitely in the thick of it. Um, now in terms of how long it'll go for. The one in 1960 was roughly over a month. I dread that this one's going to be a lot longer, but I guess we'll see. Um, Are there any points that weren't brought up yet about the strike that anybody feels like is crucial to bring up? How it's going to affect the properties that are currently in production, especially television, Strikes do numbers on television, especially if it's like it's in the middle of production. I remember the the last writer strike is what ruined Heroes. Oh yeah, and you'll you'll go through old TV shows and you'll find a season that's suddenly really short, and you'll be like, "Oh, it was that year." Unless it's Entourage, which had two parts to its third season, and was like the had so many episodes compared to all the other ones, it's really wild. Well, it means we're no longer going to be treated to Margot Robbie's impressive range of Barbie-related outfits for the 10 million premieres they were doing. So, you know, RIP Barbie tour. But think about it. The main release is the 21st. It's almost as if they prepared for this Oppenheimer and Barbie because they've been doing press junkets. Or, like, Barbie's been doing press junkets, like, God, it's been weeks already. Yeah, it's super early. So it's almost as if they anticipated this and they were like, listen. This is a good event that'll bring people back to the cinema, this whole Barbenheimer thing. So let's not lose this opportunity. Let's get out there and promote the crap out of ourselves. And then um, come July 13th in the morning, it's like, okay, well, that's that abandoned ship. We've done all that we can do. So Oppenheimer didn't quite get the press, uh, the press tour that Barbie did, but at least it was something. Hey, the memes are enough, though. There's so many people who are going to see this double feature and oh, it's yeah. so funny because it's like it's the least likely thing you thought would happen, but it's like Barbie and Oppenheimer. What? Now we just need the crossover we were all promised, and go from there. Yeah, um, it's it's hilarious too because a lot of people were saying, of course, Greta Gorick and Margot Robbie are going to be watching Oppenheimer because, like, you know, they're cinephiles. It makes sense, but. Would somebody as like frigid as Nolan, as Christopher Nolan, or like as private as Killian Murphy, would they actually give a darn? Oh, about he's excited ex- for it. But that's what I'm saying. Like they have expressed excitement. But I have to ask this: Is that because 
they knew that the SAG after a thing was going to happen with the strike. I feel like if there was no strike and there was no need to do this, would they have ever said this? I don't know. I think so. I think that a it's a genuinely interesting film, and b they want to look gracious. So that's true. They're probably at least trying to be polite. But I think deep down, even if they would have never said it, I feel like Killian Murphy would have been actually genuinely been interested. But hey. As long as Nolan actually does care, hey, who knows? I still want to see Tarantino's take on it down the line. That's a, you know what? I want, I want to know that too. I don't know. I think mm-hmm. it's just a good moment to have where we can like love cinema again, just without all the craziness of everything else. Cause it's like, I, I don't think I've ever seen really anything so hyped up like these two movies in the way it has been. Like there was a lot of move, hype for, you know, across the spider verse and stuff like that. And a couple other things, but this one just has like, I don't know. It kind of reminds me of like films of years ago, like the kind of hype that would build up. Yeah, like 15 years ago when you'd go to the movies on a hot summer night and wait in line for the latest big release. I really miss that. And I'm so glad we're going to get a chance to experience it again. Yeah, it's just unfortunate that the climate's going to be at least a little bit hairy given um, everything that's going on. But at the same time, like I feel like maybe the dichotomy of the two things, the strike halting everything that's in production and this big release event maybe it'll be like you know what damn i i love motion pictures and um we need more of this not that we need more of this like this magical feeling that hopefully we're going to be getting on the on the weekend of the 21st not this understanding that hardworking people are being screwed by by the industry you know I just want a happy event for all of us again. That's all. Yeah. And you know what? Speaking of, uh, you know, people being unhappy, it reminds me a lot of um, what's been going on with animators, where the, whether they're like um, traditional animation or they're CGI visual artists who are being uh, overworked to death like mules. Um, I'd like to think that the strike would maybe change the course of people like that as well, because the strike right now is, you know, SAG-AFTRA, it's the Writers Guild, but I'd like to think that, you know, given the fact that a lot of the actress problems are very similar to those of the Writing Guild, um, that the industry in general changes for the better with how everybody is treated as a collective unit. Yeah, like animators and VFX artists have been put through the ringer, especially in the age of Marvel movies. Yeah, well, whatever happens, I'll be following it very closely. Yeah, I can't imagine that we wouldn't be recording an episode should there be like another major shift or, um, you know, a resolution would be nice in the foreseeable future. Uh, I'm sure we'll be commenting about that as well, whether it's like a short bite-sized episode or a three-hour behemoth episode but otherwise um this is only the start of this thing uh i guess let's see where this goes hopefully towards some optimistic pastures and do we have anything else to say about the this gargantuan strike that we have only seen the start of no except for good luck i don't know good luck indeed yeah Uh, um Before we do go, um, I should mention that we are still um, doing regular K-Cut episodes and we are still doing our cinematic smorgasbord. 
So um, if you want to check any of those out, this month we're doing Under the Skin, Elephant, Shrek Retold, and If It's Tuesday, This Must Be Belgium. So if you're looking for some past films that aren't going to be affected by the strike, you could always check out one of those. For sure. And if uh, our listeners are interested in anything else that we do, where can they find us? Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, although I'm not sure how much longer we're going to stick around on Twitter. Yeah, we should probably probably make a thread. Uh, Films Fatal is a thread, so I think... Uh, sorry, this didn't need to be turned into a meeting but yes let's uh, one of us shall make a thread so we'll figure it out <laughs> but uh, um otherwise we are all standing strong with the union members of sag and the writers guild of america um we're heartbroken but at the same time this is very necessary and um like we've all said best of luck and let's remember why we're all in, why i mean we're not in this let me let me let me restate that. Let's remember why this industry exists in the first place, because everybody loves motion pictures. Um, nobody likes being destroyed by greed. So let's get back to the heart of the motion pictures and work as a team so we can, you know, get back to making things that we love, not screwing other people over in terms of profitability. So uh, that was the K-Cut. And um, thank you for checking out our latest B-roll episode.